as we get closer to God, we not only get this heightened awareness that comes, we also become more sensitive to our our life mission. There's a sense of mission. There's something in me that says, I'm supposed to be doing more. But then there's also this need for mission that's increasing in me. It's not just a sense of a duty I have. In my heart and in my soul, I need that because I understand that without that purpose, I feel purposeless. Yeah. You know, but it's a it's a labor of love. Is it's it? A, it's a labor of love for one another, for the listeners who are tuning in. By the way, speaking of listeners, great response to week one's episode last week. So that was Thank encouraging. You. Thank you, everyone. So we appreciate all of you that tuned in, and maybe this is your first week with us. We're glad that you joined in, too. Well, if this is your first week, you're not too far behind. We're in week two of this brand new Way of Holiness podcast. I think we're kind of going into doing this podcast the way I am going more and more into living my life. All right, elaborate. Well, not really without a plan, but not needing to have everything planned. I I see that. Having some flexibility that if I wake up today and it isn't right, Mm -hmm. it's okay. Just go with wherever the Lord I'm sensing being led. And I'm talking about that in my my day-to-day life, life with family, life with, well, life with uh, even, you know, our workouts and fitness and things like that. Like, the more I think we can take stress off ourselves, clear our calendars, make space, I'm telling you, that's revolutionary for me. It just sounds like, like the ultimate life. Well, and it goes back to something we talked about even a couple of years ago about we need to try to find more margin in our lives to give ourselves the room, but it almost sounds like this is the year where the theory is finally being put into practice. I hope so. There were some some necessary struggles to go through for a couple of years to to get it more fine-tuned, and so maybe this is the next step to that. Yes, I would love to get there, take the next step, encourage people in that step. Of course, none of this may make sense to the first comment I made when we came on, but that was alluding to how much struggle and strife it was for you to get me started. But a lot of that is just the differences in technology. I mean, you got to understand, you've got an amateur producer over here, like somebody that this was their profession. Oh, no. You're highly paid to do this. Well, in more <laughs> ways than one. But we're going to get there. Yes, so we we kind of we're working through the uh, how do we how do we kick this thing off because uh, we want to really you know do a good job with it and not be distracted and not be stressed. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we're trying to figure it out. It's kind of a whole new approach. But again, thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Way of Holiness podcast. This is Mike Barnett, Corey Cantrell, and uh, we're excited to be here again this week. Let me begin today's discussion by sharing a little experience. Uh, this morning, this morning I was taking my son to school. I think you take yours to school mm-hmm. on, we're recording on a Monday, and we typically take the children to school on Mondays, give our wives the Monday morning off, so to speak. But uh, I was driving in, and there's a certain place along the road where just about, unless it's a cloudy, rainy day, every morning there's actually two spots that we will get to watch a beautiful sunrise. Of course, it depends on what time of year it is. But in the fall, uh, winter, and early spring, this is typically the time where you get to see this. And 
I was noticing as I was going driving in the road, it's like, man, look at that sunrise. And I told my son that. And of course, he's got this habit now of his portable video game that he uses on the way to school in the mornings. I said, look at the sunrise. He looks, oh, yeah, he's back to his game. <laughs> I said, come on, man, this will do you more good than that, that screen you're looking at. Uh, yeah, I know. And so we keep going, and then we hit that second place where you can see it really well, and it's just a big open field. Both spots, it's big open field, and then there's a trees in the background. So like a, it's not really forest, but at least a line of trees or a bit of forest in the background, and then the sun with the clouds, it's just it's beautiful. And here's the word that I had in my mind as I was thinking and looking at all that, awareness. Awareness is a big thing for me. I talk about it a lot. I mention it a lot. And I think I live in it pretty well, being aware. And I was thinking of all the types of awareness that we need. There's, there's self-awareness or what we might call soul awareness. Mm -hmm. We really need that. Not a lot of people have it. It doesn't seem like, and I think it scares people. And then there's, of course, God awareness, which I would tie that back to the beautiful sunrise. But there's God awareness, and then there's others' awareness. And I think I would put that one on the, if I was ranking those, that would be number three for me and how and where I'm good. And I want to be more others' aware. But in all those categories, just how important it is to be aware of things and to think about the awareness. I, I think when we look in all those categories, ourself we look at God, we look at others, the world, whatever it is. You've got the sunrise that represents to me this morning the beauty that we can see. And I believe we ought to be aware of the beauty. I believe we ought to be aware of the glory, not only in the creation, but in, we're talking about others. Mm -hmm. That everybody bears the image of God. There's glory and beauty in every person. But how hard is it for some people to even see that in themselves? I think it is. It's a foreign concept. Maybe that's maybe that's a really hard part for most people is to see that. Yeah, because I think we have we've programmed this um, this this way of combating pride almost by by self deprecation. Well, I don't want to be proud, and so really I'm going to look at and focus on all the awful things about myself. Well, when we do that, we can't see the goodness that God has placed within inside of us. We can't see the ways that we are image bearers, not that we lift ourselves up in pride, but just the way that I, unlike anybody else on this world, display beauty from God because I was created as a unique vessel and a unique way of doing that. It's not it's not pride. That's, that's just me as a created being reciprocating the glory back to God that he has placed inside of me. And then doing that with others yeah. by be, becoming aware of what they offer. Yes. But see, I think it's easier, and we do need to be aware of the other side of it. The other side of it, as opposed to beauty, is the ugliness. Mm -hmm. And as opposed to glory is the darkness. And we have to be aware of that, too. I'm afraid sometimes we're so overly in touch with that part that it, it clouds the beauty. Yes. So perfect illustration is, you know, and not to pick on him, we do put some restrictions, but to be on his game and say, oh, yeah, the sun, that's cool. And back, you know, I think that's to an example or a illustration of how we can be so overcome with the ugliness and the darkness and, you know, the analogy breaks down somewhere, but that we ref we're not able to see what's beautiful around us, in us, and in others. Yes, it's it's distraction in a lot of ways. We, we, get, we get focused on something else that captures our attention, and therefore we can't place the focus 
where it's actually due and where it's needed to be put. And, you know, not to spend the whole time on this, I'm, I want to go somewhere with this, but if we have a hard time seeing the worth and the beauty and the glory in ourselves, I think it's harder for us to see it in others. And we might say, well, no, 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 I, I, I really appreciate and value everybody else. But I think that goes counter to what Jesus teaches us when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And there's a, there's a way in which we have believed that what we're doing is loving others, but if we are, to use your term, self-deprecating and only see the ugliness in ourselves, that will come out yes. in how we view others. So awareness is important. I think Psalm 19 was in my heart again. You know, we, we kind of had some exchange on that on Sunday, but it really breaks that down because it talks about the, the glory of creation, the glory of the scriptures, the glory of man. And then I, I just thought Psalm 1, uh, Psalm 8, Psalm 139, just throwing out some of these scriptures that really call our attention to being aware of who we are to God and how God feels about us and how God sees the world. But here's the thing about it. I think the closer we get to God, the higher our awareness becomes. So if as we draw nigh to God, I think it heightens our awareness of the beauty. So I think what I'm saying is the first step to all of this, to being in touch with the beauty, as well as being able to interpret the ugly that's in the world, that's in ourself, and that's in others. We mm -hmm. didn't really talk about that a lot, but yeah, it's true. There's some parts of me that are not very wonderful, mm -hmm. not very good, and everybody bears some of that in them. But we need to be aware of all of that. There's a self-awareness that needs to go deeper. There's another's awareness. There's a, but it starts with that God awareness. Yeah. And the closer we get to God, I think the more heightened our awareness becomes. Because we begin to see things through his lenses. Like we, we see the situation the way that he views it, and therefore we are able to process it the right way. And we become spiritually sensitive. Yeah. And along with that, though, is I think there's a opposition that increases in our life. So as we become, as we get closer to God and we become more God-conscious, more God-aware, self-aware, soul-aware, along with that heightened awareness is going to come a heightened opposition to that. So I have a greater desire to love God. I have a greater desire to be holy. And I'm going to also notice at the same time that there are these deeper issues in me or in the world or even a direct you know, assault, a direct confrontation with Satan. Mm -hmm. My flesh seems to awaken in stronger ways, and the reality is, is that it's probably not more awake. I'm just becoming more sensitive to it, more aware of it. And that's the other side of the way of holiness is understanding that there's a great conflict that's involved in this. Yeah, as you're talking, there's an analogy running through my my mind. I just finished reading the, uh, a book called um, the the Escape from, and I can never pronounce it right, Auschwitz, the mm -hmm. the German Auschwitz. Labor, Auschwitz. Um, but but basically, in that there's a there's a Jewish underground that's that's trying to break out, and it's it's a historical fiction, but it was actually a, it was a really good read. Um, but at one point in time, after the third escape, it talks about how the guards that were always there. But they went on heightened alert, 24-7, round the clock. There was no sleeping. And at the first part, before the first escape attempt, 
it was kind of lax. The guards were like, eh, nobody's leaving, nobody's going anywhere. And so they really weren't taking their job very seriously. And I think in a lot of ways what you're describing with our awareness with God, that really is, it's, it's a liberation from being in the bondage of this world. We are being brought from that path and delivered to the way of holiness. And at that point in time, our flesh goes on super high alert and all of a sudden does awaken because it doesn't want to lose what it's got. And it's try, it's going to try to to drag us back into the same life that we've always lived. But now we have this increased awareness of this other life that is out there. Yeah, and so it's. I think it helps. it will help people to understand that as you commit yourself to a deeper life with God and you start then noticing or feeling like, man, I feel like I'm just failing more than I ever have. Okay, that's part of it. Yeah. Because you're becoming more sensitive to the sinfulness, to the things that are not right, that at one time you were kind of dull to. Yeah. I mean, it just didn't even, you didn't even phase you, you didn't think about it. You weren't even, could because you didn't have that heightened awareness and now you've got this heightened opposition. But as I thought about the awareness and the opposition, it took me to a third thing, and that is mission. So as we get closer to God, we not only get this heightened awareness that comes, and it's kind of the product of drawing closer to God, but we increase in our heightened, or this this opposition increases. But then I think we also become more sensitive to our our life mission, and I, I wrote that word down, and I, I put two phrases with it. There's a sense of mission. There's something in me that says, I'm supposed to be doing more. Mm-hmm. My life is supposed to count for something besides, you know, making a living, retiring, and, you know, traveling. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of mission that's increasing, but then there's also this need for mission that's increasing in me. So it's not just... In other words, it's not just a sense of a duty I have, and it's okay to say that we are we do have a duty, we do have a a responsibility to serve God and do the things that the Bible teaches us. But in my heart and in my soul, I need that because I understand that without that purpose, I feel purposeless. Yeah. So our duty becomes our fulfillment. Like this, this is what my life is all about. So it's not an obligation. But it's it's literally a lifeline. It's the way that we that we truly live. Well, the word that comes to mind is calling, and mm-hmm. and that is you know found throughout the scriptures. But um, it's coming, it's coming. So Second Timothy one nine, Paul says to Timothy. Uh, speaking of what Christ has done for us, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. And doesn't Paul use the word vocation maybe in Ephesians? But we think about vocation, calling. Yeah, Ephesians 4, 1, I, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Mm-hmm. And I, I think sometimes we think about calling and we think about that that's sort of like... Uh, that's some kind of extracurricular thing, like some people have the calling, like they're called to the ministry yeah. or called to preach. But actually our calling is is the, the totality of our life's purpose. What is it that I exist on this planet to do right now for God? Now that takes me to something that you had brought up because 
you've been speaking about there is a certain uniqueness. Um, there's an individual uh, way in which we are called that fits into the larger calling that every follower of Christ has. Mm-hmm. So there's this grand mission, or we might use the the term the church has used for a long time. There's the great commission, right? Which we, we want to talk about. But each person has this individual place in how they live that and fulfill that. Yeah, I think that being a more intense focus for me, just over the even the last few days, is equal parts eye-opening and encouraging, but also sobering and and intimidating. When I think it's easy sometimes to kind of to kind of get lost in the masses of the Great Commission and be like, okay, well, this is the responsibility of the entire church, the entire body. But if I don't, if I'm not as strong and I don't pull my weight, there's somebody else that's going to be stronger. But the work's going to get done, and I get to be a part of it. But that's not really the case because yes, the entire body does have the collective work, but I have a role that if I don't do my job, there will be a missing link. There, there will be an unfulfilled role because I am the only person that can live my life. I'm the only person that can do what God has me here on this earth to do. Not in the, the grand, quote-unquote, scheme of things, but in the very real, very tangible, practical point of life, I have a light to shine brightly for Christ that he has placed inside of me. And it is my duty and my responsibility to find how he is calling me to manifest that light. Maybe the next question is, where does that light, I'm going to use the wrong grammar, where does that light get shined? <laughs> where do we go about shining that light, I guess is the way to say that. Where, where, does, where do we and how do we go about shining that unique light that is given to each one of us? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think one of the easiest answers for that first question of where is you ask yourself, okay, where am I at right now? Because one thing about it, we, we don't turn the light off. It's not like a flashlight where we click it on where we need it and then we turn it off to save power and all that kind of stuff. Our light is to be just constantly illuminating. Everywhere that we go, we're to shine it. So when when I'm at home with my wife and my children who are all quote-unquote professing believers and members of the church, I'm to shine just as brightly with them as I am if we're in downtown Greensboro ministering to potential lost people and and things like that it, I don't I don't crank up the light based on which situation or circumstance I'm in I just take it with me every single place that I go well if it's who you are you have no choice mm-hmm. but as Jesus said in the you know in the Sermon on the Mount Matthew 5 we, we kind of have that active command active order let your light so shine you don't you know, yep. light a candle and then put it under a bushel, but you set it in there, the house, so that everyone can have the light, right? And so that's what we're supposed to do. We were talking about this. I should say we were texting about this in our in our kind of an internal group text and bringing the whole thought of the Great Commission into it. I was reading in Matthew 28 this morning, and, and I, I mentioned that, you know, we've been taught about the Great Commission our whole life. Most people that are in church, they've heard about the Great Commission. And so as long as you've been a part of a church, as long as you've been a follower of Jesus, you've heard about it. But it seems like it's always been presented as sending missionaries. Mm-hmm. You know, as a, as a church, 
We want to send a missionary out. Wonderful when someone comes from our congregation and goes to the mission field. Or we partner with other missionaries or mission organizations. So we think about sending missionaries and giving to missions. We love to get their reports back of what they're doing. And I know you and I read those reports, miss very few. I I think we could honestly say Mm -hmm. we try to read them all. And all those are good things. But what you're driving at and what has been a big question in my heart for a while is how do I actually live the Great Commission in its entirety? Because my whole adult life or, or life with Christ as an adult in the church, I've been a part of missions, I've been a missionary, I've gone to the mission fields, both foreign and domestic, and we, we do all that part. But there's got to be something else, because when I read the Great Commission, I know Jesus was talking to those, those men that were there with him that day, But I believe that commission was given to them to be then carried out through the church until Jesus comes back. That's kind of the language of it. Mm -hmm. And he says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now, stop right there, and you see part of the issue is it's easy to say, yes, that's global, that's huge, that's that's going across the big pond. That's going to Africa and Antarctica and the North Pole because the elves need it too. And, and then we just don't think about, well, I guess the Acts chapter 1 part. Ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and to Judea and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But we read this great commission and we, think, we start thinking big. We start thinking global. We start thinking the church does this. Well, wait a minute. Who is the church? <laughs> you know, because we looked at Ephesians 4 the other the other night in our service and how there is the collective one, the body, but it is each one in the collective one that makes that work. So I look at the Great Commission. I say, what is my responsibility here? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So I know Jesus said that to the group, and I think there was a team mentality with those apostles. And I believe there's supposed to be a team mentality today within your church congregation, but that team is made up of those individuals that have a role. And so I ask the question, how do I actually live the Great Commission in its entirety, not just believe in it and support it like in some kind of, yeah, I'm behind that. And we got a great response from one of our men in the church, and I'm going to quote him. Brother Eddie said this. He said, We, I've been taught the Great Commission is a part of the Christian life, something to support and participate in at certain times, missions, soul-winning time, etc. But I've come to realize that the Great Commission is the Christian life. It's about making disciples, and that's 24-7. It's around my family, my co-workers, my church family, My job is to teach them all things, making disciples, not just to the unsaved, but to everyone I interact with. And I love this last part. Even when I'm alone, I should be striving to help that one person I'm around, me, draw closer to him. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was a great answer right there. So that, I mean, Brother Eddie's not with us, and yet he is. When when I read that, I said, man, that's an awesome answer. Mm -hmm. That that brings it to a, a place of reality. And it's back to what you said. Whether it's at home or whether we're out there at our coffee place or a restaurant or whatever, how are we bringing the kingdom? Because here's 
the thing that Paul says that you mentioned earlier in conversation, we're to be ambassadors. Mm -hmm. well, so what does that mean? Yeah, that's where I was actually just getting ready to jump to because as, as you were reading Brother Eddie's text, we had this discussion in our in our Sunday school class and kind of explaining you know what is an ambassador and for so long we have used that term and kind of made it synonymous with like well it's a representative and while technically that's true there is a big difference in an ambassador representing their nation and me like if I go to France as a tourist I represent the United States of America because I am an American but I do not represent it in the same way that the ambassador of the United States to France represents their country because he is there with with clear directive. He has an appointment. He has an objective. And his mission is to maintain foreign relations. He's a bridge builder. He's trying to make sure that things stay smooth between his home country and the area that he is in to minister in. And I thought, man... That goes so well with what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 when he talks about how we have been given the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation. We have been given the authority and the directive by our king to be in enemy territory to help mend foreign relations. Like to show there is a path to reconciliation. There is a way that your life can be mended with the kingdom. And we do that by helping to, to lay aside some of the, the, the obstacles and the roadblocks, some of the things that are hindering other people from getting on this path back to Jesus. And I do that by just simply being the man that I am called to be by God. You know, think about all of the negative stereotypes that are out there. You know, everybody has met a quote-unquote Christian. Or they've met a Baptist or a, you know, fill in your denomination. And everybody has preconceived notions about what those terms mean. It is a great role of ministry when I can be around somebody that has negative thoughts about what I claim to be and they realize, oh, wait a minute, you're different. You're not like any Christian I've met before. You don't talk the same way. You're not preaching. You're not harping. You're not telling me how awful I am, but you actually seem like you love this Jesus. Like, to me, that's what being an ambassador is, and it's not forced. It's not three steps to getting people to make a decision, but it's just me living out and determining whoever it is that I'm around right now is somebody that I have an opportunity to help to mend and maintain foreign relations with. Well, you were talking about the ambassador thing. It got me thinking about, well, what is that? Because, again, like you said, we, we've heard it. The Bible uses the term and uh, Paul says, I'm an ambassador in bonds mm -hmm. for Christ. And so, you know, I, I go to the, the dictionary and start with the basics of what an ambassador is. And the most basic definition, it's a person sent on a mission to represent another. But I like the, the comparison you made that being a representative is not necessarily the same thing. I was thinking about how I've been to, like, conferences before. And I represent my church or the ministry that I was a part of. And I may even have a name tag. Hi, I'm Mike. <laughs> and I'm from such and such. But, you know, I'm there. People see me. But I don't have a lot of influence. And with my personality, if I, if I don't have the platform, if I'm not there to be in charge of something or do something, I'm content to just be there. And so I might not have the effect, right? But if mm -hmm. I'm there and I'm called upon commissioned, brought, and sent there to speak on behalf of the organization or 
the church or whatever, that's going to be a totally different approach to right. that. And I, I, I like the analogy because it's even something I said on Sunday, and I won't, I won't quote what I said exactly right again, uh, but I'll paraphrase my own words. But we somewhere along the way lost what it means to abide in Christ, and instead we have substituted just to abide with Christ, abide around Christ, abide for Christ. Mm-hmm. Now that's all good. That that those are good things. In other words, we kind of have a a life that we live in which Jesus is a part of that. Yeah. Right. But the problem with that is that it is now our life we're living. But when we learn to abide in Christ, it is his life now being lived through us. And you cannot go into the scriptures, the epistles, even the gospels, and see, and not see, rather, that that is what Christ was after all along. This is what Paul meant when he said, for me to live is Christ. He didn't mean, you know, I love going to church. (laughs) I can't wait till the next gospel singing. Mm -hmm. I love to read my Bible. Those are all fine things, good things. They bring value. But no, Paul literally meant for me to live is no longer me. It's Christ in me. That's what that is. And so when we think about being an ambassador, uh, the this is part of it. It's learning that I need to be in Christ, and then I have this mission to bring Christ to all people. So now the Great Commission, which sounds so huge and global, actually is right here in my little world and my little area of the kingdom. And, I mean, how can that not but excite you to really, to boil it down from the big global ramifications to understanding that every single person has a has an immensely critical role into this? Like, like there's nobody that's just, quote-unquote, on the team but not really contributing. Every single person... Is it too strong to say that that Jesus is dependent on us to be what he has called us to be? Like, I I know we can spiritualize that and say, you know, bless the God, the work of the Lord's going to get done in spite of us. And while that's, I guess that's technically true, I, I can't help but feel like it's also not because that's how critical of a role and how how awesome of a calling that Jesus has given to every single one of his people. And it really is up to us to be what he is calling us to be. And the the natural question that is going to flow from all this then is the big how. It always yeah. comes back to that because we're talking about it. We we understand it. It connects with our heart that this is what it's about. But then it comes down to the how. On the ambassador thing, though, I mentioned earlier that you, you got me interested in looking it up. And I found this. I didn't write down the website, but it's like the Department of something relations it's a it's a government thing but they had this video presentation that was for use in classrooms to teach children about what is an ambassador hmm. and on the video was ambassador marcia bernicott i i apologize if i'm saying her name wrong but she was she served as the ambassador of from the united states to bangladesh senegal and another place that i cannot pronounce so i won't do those people a disservice but she has many, many years of service being a, a U.S. ambassador. And one of the things she says in that video, because I watched about half of it, but it also had some written stuff, but she said this. She said, being an ambassador means being sent to be the voice and face of the United States. Hmm. That's a pretty big thing because she said one of, the, one of the most memorable parts of it was that moment where you appear before that, 
that leader of that country that you've gone to, and you present your credentials to them. And you say, I am here on behalf of my country, on behalf of the United States. And she, you know, she's just used that expression to be the voice and the face of my country. Well, the Apostle Paul says that in Philippians. We're citizens of another country. So we are here to be the voice and face of, yes, a country we've never been a part of, but we belong to it and we have the greatest credentialing of all, the Spirit of God in us. And so that's how we're supposed to live. She mentioned one of the ways that you prepare to be an ambassador is by studying to know as much as you can about where you're being sent. Now, what does that mean in in terms of how we become good ambassadors to the place we live and the people we're around? I think one thing it means is we don't try to operate the same way today that people did 500 years ago. Smacking my forehead. Is that a saying? Shaking my head. There we go. (laughs) Because... I mean, we've we've got to, and I don't know what the the correct terminology is, but just for sake of this, we've got to be culturally relevant. We we have to we have to be speaking the language of the people that God has us here to engage with. If we're so foreign that they look at us and they don't understand what we're talking about, they can't hear us, they can't relate. There's no connection. Then we're very easy to dismiss. And when Jesus was here on earth. He was anything but easy to dismiss. He, he forced you to listen and to make a choice and a decision. That's how we're supposed to be living our life. Yeah, there's a healthy balance, and I, I even feel like that's a disjustice to say. There is a way of holiness mm-hmm. that looks like this. Being who you are made to be in Christ and yet being able to fit into this world and this place that you are an ambassador in. So again, it's being in the world, but not of the world. Yes. Because Jesus, who was definitely not of this world, was able to be a part of it. He fit in. He didn't look like, you know, he didn't look like a clown. Right. He didn't act like a clown. You know, there was, but there was a, there was a truth about him that was deeper than the surface level that compelled, drew other people to him. He was able to function in this world and yet still stand out. Like, once you got to know Jesus, it didn't take long to realize there's something different about him. But he didn't have to walk down the street with fancy clothes and Scripture verses taped to his forehead to stand out and be like, oh, okay, that... Or or the opposite. Right. You know, looking like he's never had a bath and just rolled out of bed or whatever. You know, like he... He was a man, and Mm -hmm. he carried himself as a man, but he was just a normal man in all those appearances. It was truly what was on the inside that made the difference. That you were either compelled to love him or compelled to crucify him. Yep. You know, and that's kind of the way it was. Mission 24 then is be in Christ and bring Christ to all. So we, we need to know, and this is all part of the way of holiness because we have this mission, this great commission, and, and we need to know how to do that. A lot of what we talk about, in our personal conversations, in previous podcast endeavors or whatever, has been the how of being in Christ. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be so much more to talk about that in. But this is really an emphasis then on then how we bring Christ to everyone around us. I think the way you do it is you have to bring the gospel, right? You have to bring the gospel. And what is included in the gospel? Well, Most people are going to jump to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which is definitely part of the gospel. But I think to get the whole of the gospel, 
we need to remember that before Jesus was crucified, he lived. Mm-hmm. And I think that you have to include the life of Jesus to get the whole gospel because it's in his life that he lays down, lays down the foundational teaching that we are to now live by and practice. Again, Sermon on the Mount stuff. And so when I think about how do I bring Jesus and, and into this world, how do I be an ambassador, it's got to be by bringing the gospel so that includes his life, so that's all his teaching, that includes his crucifixion, his death, which means I've got to deal with sin. Sin is something that can't be avoided in my life, your life, in people's life. Well, what does that mean? Turn or burn. Well, that, that hasn't worked very well. But helping people understand what sin is and what sin does to them and what it costs them and how Jesus did pay for that sin so they could be freed and forgiven, it includes his burial. It includes the fact that Jesus paid the full price and penalty for our sin. He died and he went into the grave. And then it includes the resurrection. He conquered the grave. And while we might not understand it all and we may not get too technical with people we're witnessing to right off at the beginning, but he was raised for our justification. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I have this hope of eternal life. I am justified in the one who not only died for me, but rose again. Therefore, there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Boy, this is beautiful doctrinal theological truth. Yes. But it also includes another part. He's coming again. And see, that's hope. So how would we categorize all these words? I think... In his life, we see light. In his death, we see forgiveness. In his resurrection, we see promise or, or uh, no condemnation. I don't know how I would want to word that. I think even the ascension is important because it reminds us of the mission that every Christian has. Yeah. But his coming brings hope to us. So if we take those words, I was just jotting those down as I'm talking, what we're really saying is that we are ambassadors who are bringing Christ to all people, and that looks like bringing light, forgiveness. Renewal? Yes. That, let's use that word. So light, forgiveness, the renewal, meaning that we sing that song, Jesus paid it all. We say Jesus washed all my sins. All my sins have been washed away. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. But you just... What about when you just sinned this morning? Or what about when you sin later? Are you saying that sin doesn't exist? You see, I, it's not about what Jesus did for me the first time I met him and it's a one and done. No, I, Jesus does wash sin away, but he washes it away today. Yeah. And my awareness of that sin pushes me, draws me, compels me to him because there is this renewing that is happening, this washing of regeneration and this renewal of the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. And then we're bringing hope to people. Hope that, yes, Christ lives. Hope that Christ is coming again. So let's take that one step further and get real practical. How do we bring light, forgiveness, renewal, and hope into somebody's world today? Thinking of several different practical ways, but... It is a tough question because we're not conditioned to think this way mm-hmm. a lot. You know, we, we, you've just ripped away all opportunity for the cliche answers because we've got to get practical with it. And I think we've got to get honest with ourselves. So when we say things like, 
when you're conversing with somebody today and you're talking to them and you see that they have hopelessness in their eyes, they're going through a trial, maybe they're just having a bad day and they're responding in a way that they're angry, they're negative, and you look to them and you offer them unasked for forgiveness mm-hmm. by just being kind and courteous and polite, not holding their negative attitude against them, that right there is a real-life, tangible way that we're bringing to them light and hope and forgiveness and the opportunity for renewal. Like We've got to stop thinking that, okay, this is the critical moment. I've got to... I've got it. This person may never have another moment. Well, maybe in this particular season, we're simply just planting a seed. Maybe we're having an opportunity to water right now. We've got to stop thinking that the only purpose of our mission is to harvest. There's so much other that goes into it. And even these little tiny things that are so easy for us to dismiss are actually huge ways that we're ambassadors for Christ. I mentioned this often, and it's because it's an area I have personally needed to develop and work on, because as I've said in plenty of times before, I am very task-oriented by nature. So if I go to this coffee place to get coffee, I'm there to get coffee. I just came to get my coffee and get out of here. But what I have begun to think about more, and I, I know it's the Lord's helping me, is that encounter is an opportunity to bring Christ and bring the kingdom to somebody's life. And it can be just this simple. When I, when I place my order, it is to make sure that I am gracious and I express gratitude and I express kindness. And you never know when doing that, that number one, you have shined light into someone who has been living in a lot of darkness that day. Mm-hmm. You have brought a sense of patience and kindness and worth to that person's life by expressing to them. I mean, we're not talking about 15 minutes of just gushing. We're talking about just being kind. And in this world we live in today, kindness and patience with others, those are gems. Yeah, Those are pearls, uh, and those are things that will make a difference. So while I'm thinking about it, and, and I love the practical examples, I think it's worth mentioning lots of ways that, that we could come up with. I, for example, doing this podcast is a way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't want to leave it at that because some people say, well, I don't, I don't do podcasts, so that I, I can't bring light to people. Yeah, but there's every conversation we have, every phone call, every interaction with your children, your parents, your neighbor. I mean, we've just, we've just got to have the kind of flooding of our soul with Christ so that it is just, well, to borrow a Dallas Willardism, because I'm about to read something from Dallas Willard, we want to become the kind of people who do these things naturally without having to think about yes. it. Yes. And that is what Jesus meant in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, chapter 5 and verse 20, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is pointing out to us. This is the kind of righteousness that the kingdom and the life of Jesus in us produces, that we become the kind of people who do these things naturally. And and I guess that's, I, I kind of hesitate to say that because sometimes our natural way of doing things is not right, but that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. It's about transformation. 
It's getting it to where it's just like a, it's just a subconscious reaction. We're, we're not thinking about it. We're not forcing it, maybe is a good term. We're, we're, not, we're not having to, to click into deliberate mode. It's just, it's just our, our way that we react to what's going on around us. Well, I was going to read from Dallas Willard. I might have just read the paragraph before what I was going to read as far as it's very enlightening on this topic. All right. So this is from The Divine Conspiracy. If you've ever listened to our previous efforts, I've referenced this before. You're looking at me holding this. I have had this book I don't know how long. I am, this is where I'm at. Almost About halfway. Half, yeah. <clears throat> I, this, number one, you just don't read Dallas Willard fast. But number two, it is definitely one that I have read a bit. And I guess I'm repeating myself, but I need to lay that aside, and I need to let that soak in. But you'll understand that when I guess when I read this. But this 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 book is written. The idea behind it is the invasion of the kingdom of God, and it is centered around the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, genuinely good people are those who, from the deepest levels of their understanding and motivation, are committed to promoting the good of everyone they deal with including, of course, God and themselves. i got to back up and read that again because the listener's not able to look at it with me. But listen to this, how simple this is, how practical this is. We're talking about who, one of the questions he poses, he's saying Jesus is answering great questions that philosophy has always sought to answer, like who is really well off in the world, who is a really good person. And he says a genuinely good people are those who, from the deepest levels of their understanding and motivation, are committed to promoting the good of everyone they deal with, including, of course, God and themselves. In this, they have, with God's assistance, gone beyond the right, rightness understood as merely not doing anything wrong, beyond the goodness of scribes and Pharisees, and are acting from their inward union of mind and heart with the heavens." Hmm. How much of what we have grown up with learning in church and still here today is centered around a goodness that is basically not doing anything wrong or the same kind of goodness that the scribes and Pharisees had? Yeah, the rules and the regulations. Yes. Here's the part I was going to read, and I want to introduce the word conspiracy because part, I think, of our mission is not only that we have been commissioned, but we are part of a conspiracy. Now, that'll get you excited. Listen to what he says here. It is their confidence in Jesus that has placed them into a living union with the kingdom among us. Their union with Jesus allows them now to be a part of his conspiracy to undermine the structures of evil which continue to dominate human history with the forces of truth, freedom, and love. Again, back to the coffee shop illustration. I can go into that place and I can... Smile, I can be friendly, I can be kind, I can be gracious. If they don't do something right or they're slow, I can be forgiving and merciful. And what am I doing? I'm joining with Jesus in undermining the structure of evil that has dominated that person's heart or even that establishment that day. Man, we get to be part of a righteous rebellion. He says we can quietly and relentlessly align ourselves with these forces, the forces of truth, freedom, and love, wherever they are, because we know what is cosmically afoot. <laughs> I like that <laughs> phrase. To, quote, overcome evil with good, in the Apostle Paul's words, is not just something for an individual effort here and there. It is actually what will come to pass on this earth. The power of Jesus' resurrection and his continuing life in human beings 
assures us of this. Man, that is exciting to me because now it's not, as you said, the cliche. It's not pie in the sky. This is just go out and be Christ. And actually, don't go be Christ. Go out and let Christ be Christ through you today. That is being in Christ and his life in us is brought then to everyone that we engage with which takes us back to John 15 and the abide in me and like a branch in the vine and your bear fruit to the glory of the Father. you got to be motivated because, I mean, think about all of the people that you as a listener, that you know, that I know, that live their life and just seem to be in this kind of rut of I'm living, I'm going to work, I'm providing a nice living. But really, if you were to ask them, what are you living for? It's shallow, empty nothingness. And yet every single person, no exceptions, no big eyes, little U's, no elite operatives or anything like that. Every single per- person is offered a life of immense purpose. Like I'm not even waiting for the next big thing in my life. The next big moment of great purpose is the next one that I'm about to enjoy. Mm-hmm. This next second, this next minute, this next hour is of tremendous value to the kingdom of God. Who would trade that kind of a life for anything? There's nothing that can compare to that. Yeah, if I summarize, I think, what we've covered today, how to be on this mission in 24, we are we are ambassadoring 24-7, okay? <laughs> but how, how are we doing that? I think awareness is a key word. We talked about that early on. The, the God awareness is where it starts, and the soul awareness and the other's awareness. And then awareness of the opposition. And that brings us to purpose. I think that's uh, the second key word I would highlight, that our life not only has a great purpose, but you need to tap into that purpose, or you're going to live very disappointed. You're going to be living a life very cast down at times and wondering what it was all about. Mm -hmm. I I couldn't have said it better than what you just said. I'm not waiting for my next big moment. And that really is how a lot of people live. Well, I can't wait until March because we're going to this, or I can't wait till I get married. And all those are like vacations, marriage, childbirth. Yes, we're excited about those big moments, but it's learning to live that the next big moment is now. Yes, It's what's going to happen when we push, stop, record, and go to the next thing, right? That That's a wonderful way to live because every moment of life now yes. is something to suck the energy and joy out of. Yeah. I don't know if I said that right. But uh, anyway. To be filled with energy and joy from. Yeah. Uh, but then intentionality. I don't know that we actually said that word, but I just want to make the point to say that this doesn't just happen. Mm-hmm. I said this again. It was something I think I said Sunday, but wishing it to be is not going to make it happen. We really have to do our part. And I would just maybe along with intentionality and full circle back to God awareness, there's some training that has to happen. There's some prep work. There's some study. There's some getting in there and seeking after God. There's spending time in the Gospels and in the epistles and learning what Jesus said and seeing how Paul and Peter and John help us understand that. And so just conditioning ourselves to be what God has called us to be. This will make us great ambassadors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is what we want to do in the way of holiness and on our mission for 24. And so I hope that will be an encouragement to the listeners today. <laughs>